0: are back at it again here on the millennial mustard seed podcast thank you for being here with me for another episode i got steve sawyer here from art for god if you don't know the name you definitely know his artwork he's got paintings all around the country very diverse and influential artist So it's an honor to have him on the show. What we talk about, dude, this is the real deal. This episode is legit. Just give it a listen all the way through. I met him about 10 plus years ago and didn't even know who it was that I had met at the time and how we reconnect and just everything that happens. it's, It's an amazing story, you guys. Listen, I digress. We're gonna jump right into this one. Let's go. Welcome to the show, everybody. I got a really special guest here. I have Steve Sawyer here from Art for God. It's, it's
1: nice to connect with you again. I'm glad you found me.
0: Absolutely. So tonight, I'd like to get into a couple of different topics. We're going to, you know, we already talked about this before the recording. We're going to kind of wing it, but we do have an idea of what we feel is an important thing to talk about. And that's going to be, you know, just sharing our gift, right? playing our part in this life that we're living you know, where the mystery of God unravels in the strange ways. It doesn't always happen in the four corners of the church. Sometimes the most significant things that uh, happen are outfield or a parking lot or building somewhere. I mean, it can be anywhere. I would like you to, you know, kind of tell the audience where your heart's at with this artwork that has really changed the world. I, I mean, there's this is significant. So walk us into kind of how you started art, how you found the passion and Yeah, paint the picture for us there, Steve.
1: Oh, paint a picture. That's cool. I like that. (laughs)
0: Things I do pretty well.
1: You know, everybody's story really starts when they're pretty young. Mm -hmm. I had my first childlike experience with God when I was a really young boy. It actually was about the same time I found out I was an artist. So I had these two sprouts growing up side by side, and occasionally they would intertwine, and sometimes they wouldn't. But over the years, it, Became really clear to me that I wanted them to be like um, twin oaks, twin mighty oaks that that actually grew together. You've seen trees that grow side by side, and a branch kind of grows in, and and the two trees become one in many ways. Yeah, it, So they've got separate uh, root structures, and and I think that's what happened to me. I remember a few decisions growing up in my life and a few experiences that made me enjoy and at the same time actually being embarrassed by being a really tender-hearted person. Mm. There were a few sermons that I heard when I was a kid that, that really moved me, not too many, but there were a few. And I guess I never really had a problem with God because I always believed in God, but I wasn't always sure how to get correct information about God. Wow. Wow. You know, there's some things I heard in church that I never believed about God and and there's some things in church that I did believe. You know, so I had to kind of sort through it because in the end, it ends up being a very personal experience. You know, as far as I'm concerned, anybody that's looking for God's a friend of mine and I respect the fact that different cultures and different environmental circumstances and life experiences sometimes unfold and lead us uh, down paths that, that are maybe a little different. And so I I remember when Art For God first started taking off, you know, I was getting uh, a lot of interviews. I don't know, I probably did several hundred of them. And, and I think all told, counting digital newspapers and physical newspapers, we topped 400 that included pictures of my art. And, you know, it got to be, uh, it was, very thrilling it was exciting to try to share what my vision was my number one focus was that I understood uh, experientially and intellectually and spiritually that, that there was actually a big difference between the religion of Jesus and the religion about Jesus I gravitationally pulled towards the religion of Jesus which meant that you might have more fun on the highways and the byways and just like you're saying, you know, the the opportunity to have spiritual encounters with other people are really significant when you are serving in areas that may not be the traditional areas of service. Man, I just, I fell in love with God. And the more I learned about God, the more I studied the religion of Jesus, which you can pretty much write on the back of a business card. <laughs> I probably have, you know, several hundred Books that refer to the religion about Jesus, which includes hundreds and hundreds of different denominations within Christianity, and Jesus himself said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so there was something to me that was sad. There was a really sad component missing because it felt like there were a lot of people arguing about Doctrine, dogma, the things you can say, can't say, the types of prayers you're supposed to pray, whether it's literal, whether there's any room to navigate around the scriptures. You know, we all have to find God on our own. You can read a thousand books, but sooner or later, it ends up being between you and God. And hopefully the books that you read and the experiences you have become a stable scaffold upon which you reach for the hand of God and reach in toward all things that are divine and holy and try to fill yourself in such a way that you might see people the way Jesus might see people and listen to people in a different way and, and try to speak to people in a different way and try to become a living extension of what Jesus asked us to become. You know, I've got this broadcast that I've slowed down on right now. I think I've done, it's called Closet Church. It's live on Facebook. And the first two years I did it, I I hardly missed a day. So, And then I'm in my third year. So who knows, I've got between five and 700 broadcasts. A lot of times I don't quote scripture at all. I'm trying to talk to the people uh, that are, they're not sure about God. I'm not going after the people that can quote scripture and try to talk me down. They don't need my help. They're just trying to prove that they're smarter than me. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But the people who've had their hearts broken, the people who have looked for God and been hurt by the church, or been hurt by people who have professed to know the will of God, projecting it into someone else's life instead of cleaning up their own backyard. There are thousands and thousands of people out there that just want to hear a friendly voice that makes God seem real, kind, reminding us how important it is to really forgive people, including yourself, which is one of the biggest challenges of all. There are a lot of people that say they forgive people all the time, but they haven't forgiven themselves. You got a long way to go. You got to say that nice, but it's true. I was reading a book uh, in a cafeteria where I worked. And I read something, and this is back in 1975. That's a pretty quick segue, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, you asked me a question. I realized I was meandering quite a
0: bit. I think we were getting really deep really quick, which I love to do on the show, because honestly, at the end of the day, people tune in for what's real. Yeah, You know, everybody who's been on the show, they know I don't write out a bunch of questions. There's something significant about the person that I invite on the show that I want the audience to see a piece of what I see in them. And then it always goes so much deeper than that.
1: I'm going to go on a parallel track, which will take us to our meeting. I've been to a lot of different denominations and I have worshipped with a lot of different people from different religions. If you're always thinking that you're the only holy person in the crowd you'll never really learn much thinking that your religion has to be the right way and the only way when jesus said you know i came for jew and gentile alike if he were to say it today he probably would include a few extra words like you know how big is what's considered gentile that which is not jewish there is one god were that creator to actually become a human being, he would speak and act exactly the way Jesus of Nazareth did. To understand God, we don't have to go any farther than embracing the loving character, the, the incredible loving unselfish service, not only in word but in deed, that, that Jesus exemplified because he did good as he walked by. You know, he didn't wait till he showed up at a synagogue. He didn't wait till he stood up someplace in the middle of Jerusalem, challenging authority. Everywhere he went, he clearly felt there's an opportunity to love and serve somebody. And if we were brave enough just to do that, without judging people, without saying, oh, I'll love you as soon as you convert to Christianity, or whatever, you know, just something... Or withholding, because we're afraid somebody's different, somebody believes different, have an open mind and an open heart, treat everyone not only as the good Samaritan but as if they needed the good Samaritan. We all need we all need someone to help us grow and learn better without prejudice, without fear. Hard thing to do sometimes because you know it some organized religions create a pretty magnificent comfort zones and you feel like, well, I can play in this sandbox the rest of my life as long as I don't go outside there. And sometimes, you know, you, you lob stuff at people in different sandboxes and next thing, you know, it's rocks and sticks and mortar shells. And, <laughs> and I think some of the things we do almost leave God speechless as we, you know, pursue this idea of self-righteousness or, you know, thinking we're the chosen people. It's a tough call. It offends some people. But, you know, I I always try to think what the Son of Man would do because it wasn't just the Son of God. And in art, you know, the earliest art was, yeah, like the Catholic Church was a a great benefactor of early artists. But we had what I call the touch-me-not-Jesus. You know, he was either... In danger or on a cross or glowing as he came out of the resurrection. The people that fell in love with the Son of Man, that story, the one that did good as he walked by, the one that loved the publicans and sinners, that's a heroic person worth following. And when I was reading that book in the basement of that cafeteria, it said something like, you know, it's a shame that the Back then it was the 20th century, that the 20th century artists have failed to portray the master, showing his kindness, his humor, his mercy, his compassion. It was just, I'm paraphrasing, but that struck me like a door opened and the wind blew right through me. It was like, I want that job. I want that job. I volunteered at that very moment when I read it because I knew that I wanted to be that guy. Or one of the people you know just when you volunteer you just you take it on and I thought I was ready you know 1975 just got (laughs) to college out I have my act together and I just heard from God and what I found out was that didn't mean I was qualified to do anything yet (laughs) (laughs) so I ended up spending the next 20 years literally I was in my 20s and and for 20 years I improved my art skills. I improved my understanding of Jesus of Nazareth, better understanding of the religions of the world. So somewhere with a whole bunch of strange things that happened in that 20-year period, I also was looking for a Jesus model. That was fascinating because, you know, as that, that 20 years is rolling by. When you get near the end of 19 years, you're starting to think you made it all up. Oh but, Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. I don't know. I had an opportunity. A friend of mine was going to Israel. People were having a party to supposedly celebrate the 2000th birthday of Jesus. And I knew a couple of people that were going and I liked them. So I joined and I went with the group. It's like, okay, now I'm going to look for people to be my Jesus model. God, I stared at a lot of men, made some men uncomfortable, and sometimes it made me really uncomfortable. But I, I would just look at people and I would try to have that kind of eagle vision where you're actually seeing someone's character as well as their physique, because I don't think any of us know what Jesus looked like. I certainly don't think he was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Anglo-Saxon. And I don't <laughs> even know that his hair was long. That's supposedly was an addition from uh, the Middle Ages. But I I don't know. I had to find a Jesus model. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint Jesus in a new and dynamic way. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to focus on the, the religion of Jesus, the Son of Man, you know, which means you don't do a lot of traditional things where you take a scripture and you do a painting around a scripture. I would do a painting based on a real living experience. And then I'd look to see if I could find a scripture to match it. Truth, wow. to truth, you know. Yeah. So, anyway, at the end of that twentieth year, I ended up in a place where uh, I had lost a really important art job. Instead of being angry and resentful at the people that that did that, because you know, when you're an artist, you know, you might work with other people, but if you're not working, nobody else is bringing the money in. Mm-hmm. And I, I just was at peace with the fact that. I had no work. The decisions I made led me to go places that I might not otherwise go. And I found myself sitting uh, on a couch inside my studio, looking out across the street one day and and I saw a guy walking across the street and I went, oh my God, (laughs) this is downtown Versailles, Kentucky, right? So I jumped up, ran across the street. I still don't recall whether I looked left or right, but I did. And I tapped him on the shoulder and he turned around and I said, I've been looking for you for 20 years. He smiled. We had a short conversation where I told him who I was, what I wanted to do. And he said, "Okay." And that's Tyrone Dove Gardner, one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. That was my Jesus model the entire time. And in terms of that character that I was trying to pierce the veil of how somebody looked to find real character in the 20 years or something we've worked together, I have never once regretted that he was a model for the son of God. Not once. So, you know, I do my first painting, the second one, and there's stories with every single painting. We started looking for places to go because I knew if I was going to do this, Rod, I would have to get in front of an audience. So we tried Ichthus, which was, you know, one of the I think it was like the first outdoor Christian festival in America, uh, right Mm. in the heart of Kentucky. We did Icthus a few times, and then we found out about Creation East. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) And, And next thing I know, and for people that don't know anything about Creation East, it was one of the most impactful things that I've ever experienced because we were up on top of a big hill in a permanent open structure looking down to a stage where the people were really tiny. We were up there in the booth looking through the wire. It was a big wire mesh and we saw candle flames. People were lighting candles and turning around and lighting the candle of the people behind them. And we're up on top of this hill and we are watching this wave of flame crawl up the mountain toward us. And I was overwhelmed. I thought it was just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And I did a painting based on that.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing that, too. And it's very significant what you're talking about here. And I didn't see the painting on it, but I was there for that. And if people could really just understand, like, there's probably 200,000 people in a valley.
1: It was usually about 100,000, but,
0: you know, counting looks like a million people. It looks like, yeah, I mean, from where I was standing up near you, it looks like a million people. It really does. But everybody lighting that candle and as it travels back and there's just a feeling of peace in that valley. Going with the story, I just wanted to highlight that.
1: Yes. Being on the backside of the table, you know, I would see the number of people that stopped and their jaws dropped, you know, with the big banner sticking out. And somehow it just seemed like I could I could tell. Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. In your case, I could. That that there was somebody that genuinely deserved the art and may not have the money for it. And, you know, my idea of ministry, and this is no disrespect to Thomas Kincaid, but I, I saw some of the shenanigans that he would do, like having an authorized signature or having his hair cut and having the DNA in the ink and having people dim the lights and act like there's magic in the room or some crap like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and then the, the people that I knew that were lovely Christians, but this may not be a fair broad stroke, but there were times where it absolutely felt like they were more excited that they could show that they could afford to buy a Thomas Kincaid than the fact that there may have been a spiritual value to the painting. Absolutely. And, you know, that was one of the first decisions I made was, I'm not going to ever, ever, ever do that. Never do that. It doesn't mean I don't have Canvas Reproductions that you can spend over $1,000 on. But my open edition and my limited edition were immediately available all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Normally, you do the limited edition. It's where you make the money. And then after that sells out, then you do the open edition. It's like, but this is ministry. Feel right. So I, I broke a lot of rules joyfully. I didn't care what anybody thought. It gave me the opportunity when I'd meet somebody that was really sincere of heart, and God, I'd really like for this person to have this. I can tell that it might be a really important catalyst for what God wants to do, because I really think my art's more like a, a catalyst. I don't know that the art has any more significance than it puts somebody in a place where they're receptive for what God wants to do in their life. God, I've met all kinds of people. I've met people that say God finished painting their painting. <laughs> I've met people that said this is this is actual gold dust that fell on the painting from heaven. And I look at it and go, man, oh, it's, it's, that, that's glitter. I'm sorry. Yeah. I think God can do better than than glitter, you know. And and it's just some people just need magic in their lives. Some people want to validate their efforts by appearing to have been touched by the miraculous. Yeah. And you know, I I don't I don't celebrate them, but I don't judge them. I just uh I kept finding over and over things that I would never stoop to for me, for what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then there was this guy one time that showed up in my booth, and it's happened more than once. And and I I offered to give this guy uh print that he wanted. I don't remember what size it was. And I just sincerely said that you can pay me whenever you can afford it. And I felt like that was real ministry too, because Jesus trusted the 12 apostles. Jesus trusted us. Jesus still trusts us. God gave imperfect beings the opportunity to serve him, fully mindful of how much we'd screw up. Trust <laughs> Trust is a has a magnificent mortar to it that helps a person build their character. You were one of the people that I gave a print to and trusted to pay me later and you know I, I think maybe I might have done that five times, Rod. not a lot because I you know I didn't want to make a charlatan out of myself. But yeah. there, you know, you go to enough conferences, you, you meet some people, you go, I really want you to have this. And when you can afford to pay me, you do that. I will say that I think everybody else paid me years before you did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me jump in real quick no, and, and for the audience. I would, I'd like to paint a little bit of the backstory leading okay. up to the first time that we met also. Okay. So I know the audience, uh, there's people that have asked me to do an explanation, if you will. You know, there's a lot of listeners from around the world at this point. And I believe God's sending out these these podcast episodes to the people that need to hear it. It's that's what's important to me. I don't I'm not a numbers guy, but I really do believe there's people. That can relate to this content, that it makes them smile, it makes them question things. And, but anyway, at this time in my life, I had a really good life all the way up until I'd say about 14, 15 years old. I mean, we had our family troubles and things, but our lives started to turn drastically. You know, it started with, um, you know, a terrible motorcycle accident with my dad and then my mother being diagnosed with cancer and then slowly losing our family home and, and everything that my parents had ever worked for. But during this period in time, I, You know, I got a girl pregnant and had a set of twins on the way party one night, wrong place, wrong time. And I got beat up by a group of guys, like really bad, you know, not like I got a black guy. I mean, these guys tried to kill me. I've talked about this on the show before, but I just want people to understand the dynamic of where I was at this time in life. You know, this is around 2009, somewhere, somewhere around there. I'm not perfect with timeline, but uh, long enough ago. And I, my mother pulls me along to creation one year, you know, she's saying, Oh, you got to see this as a bunch of cool, humble Christian people that are going to go and I'm I'm really battling depression and post traumatic stress from having a minor out of body experience from the beating I took, you know, there, so I had a big question mark in my head. Uh Oh, what do I really do now? You know, I seen all these different religions pointing fingers at each other saying we're right, you're wrong. You're right, we're wrong. And, and I dismissed all of it, because now I'm an experiencer of. I'll never say I died, but Steve, I started sitting up out of my body. You know, my brain swelled up and was tapping the inside of my skull. I was very close to death. Um, But recovering from that is the next summer. And I decided to go to creation kind of on a whim. And at the time, you know, I was still smoking weed and still kind of partying around. And I wasn't wasn't living no tight and narrow life. That's a whole different story about how I, I surrendered my heart to Jesus. That was in a You know, a few years after our original meeting, but I was captivated. So I I go up to creation. I don't know what to expect. You know, I'm hearing people talk about their encounters there. This is so holy. This is so great. Other people say it's media. I mean, I've heard a little bit of all of it, but I go and I'm saying really in the secrecy of my heart, I don't know why I'm here, but Lord, there's got to be a reason. You know, I try to explain to people that there's the small tugging, I call it. It's kind of like a little magnet in the belly and it can kind of lead you. And and there's also a bad one. (laughs) you know. Don't misconstrue what lust or attraction can look like that can lead to bad things. But I'm talking about a pure thing. The mystery of really something inside of me saying, I have to go experience this. Well, that's what I did. And uh, that night I ended up at the top of the hill at your booth. Okay. You guys are there at that permanent structure and you're set up. And I'm skimming through everybody's Work. I mean, you know, people making handmade bags. You have different artworks. People are doing face painting. It really is like a wild tribe of people in a valley with musicians and a river to bathe in. It was kind of a gnarly couple days, but I find myself standing there and I'm looking at your painting, and I just remember I couldn't turn away. I just couldn't turn away because Jesus is typically depicted through art, through the centuries, holier than thou, and he is. He is the name above all names, and every knee will bow. But the humanity side of him was hard for me to see because I'd never had it depicted in in a manner that really made sense to my young mind, especially as a doubting or unbeliever at the time, if you'd like to think of me that way. I'm thinking of myself looking back. You know, you see him in the crucifixion at the resurrection, you you know, the Easter bunny and him are hanging out together on resurrection weekend at the churches and, but I see this painting and there's a guy who looked like my grandfather, you know, he looks like my cousin who's still in jail. Now he looks like a lot of family members and friends that I've known from that point until, you know, until today, even, and he's sticking a needle on his arm. And he's he's a tough looking dude. You know, he's in a room. There's a skull on the table. There's a burning cigarette in an ashtray nunchucks on the door handle. You know, he's in some seedy uh, little apartment or, or efficiency he's renting from downtown. But yet here's Jesus. And in your painting, Steve, there was something that twisted me up on the inside to think Does Jesus really bear that kind of burden with screw ups? Because I really did. That didn't connect for me. I thought there was the church world and then there's the world and then there's like the sacred secular divide and you can never merge the two together. At least this is what my young mind did. People who know me know I'm on a mission to break down the wall a little bit and identify the fact that we're not all so different. And, uh, you know, religion, not so much, but relationship with Jesus is key. So this is one a very significant moment. And I know we talked a little bit about this maybe a few months ago, gave you a little bit of backstory. But as I thought about it, it this is a really influential moment. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I had no idea. You have wall paintings in countries all around the world depicting this painting. I, I, I couldn't tell if you were just a local guy who painted out of a shed down the street or some, some up and coming artist. I had no idea. None of that meant nothing. But when I looked at that painting, it grabbed a hold of me. And um, I don't remember the exact words you use, but I kind of want to give it back over to you now. You know, I wanted to paint the picture for the audience, pun intended, to see the fact that, you know, there's this broken young man who's starting this journey of life in his very early 20s, if not late teens at that time, uh, early 20s. And the world had came at me. You know, and I seen some false things and I I had some questions. And here's a piece of artwork that grabbed a hold of me. And I reach my pocket. There's no money there. And you say to me, I'm going to give you this painting here. And when you get things in order and you're able to pay me for it, you get it there and find me. You reach out to me. But I want you to have it. And brother, you know, as a young man, I'm holding back tears because I'm thinking to myself, what? Like, that doesn't happen. Like, like nobody gives things, a, like, it just, that doesn't happen, okay? But it should. Um, it should. And it did. And it did. And here we are in 2021, and I'm getting emotional again, just riding through the memories. I have such a vivid memory. I have a, people who know me, I have an excellent memory. It's one of the only good things I got going for me. <laughs> and, you know, coming full circle seeing if we just love people look for opportunity if we have the ability to identify a need and we meet that need that's planting the seed that's watering the seed only god gets the glory for the growth and this is what we see jesus doing we see him going out and like you said he's not just uh oh let's wake up and go to the synagogue and put on the show on the road. You know, he stops and he weeps when his, I think it's his brother-in-law dies, right? Lazarus. He weeps with the people there. You know, Jesus was the visible image of God at all times that he was here. And I think people not to go too far down a rabbit trail, but I think people need to remember the new Testament was written on behalf of his arrival. Okay, all all they had was the Old Testament. And here is Jesus working miracles, doing what no other man could do and being the essence of what I believe people all over the world, regardless of what religion they say they're involved with. God says, I will take the hand of those who don't know which way to go. Yay. He's chasing down our hearts at the end of the day, even though we may think we're seeking him out.
1: I wish I could tell the story. I'm not sure that, uh, well, I'm gonna meander a little bit and I'm gonna dance around that. And if I can pull up a way to say it, I will. When I first started realizing that my art was gonna be significantly different or cause controversy, first obvious controversial painting, even though I had people angry at me when I did the Door of Hope, Jesus hit the door knocking, seriously. But the first one was when I decided I wanted, because, you know, when we listen, I think one of the biggest challenges for someone who has any desire to spiritually serve, and spiritually serving means you can physically serve. It's just the motive. What's the intent of your service? Mm. You know, one of the cruelest things that's ever happened, as far as I'm concerned, in organized religion, is to turn tithing into a magic show. Oh, well, you, you quote some scripture and it's like, well, God, if you give $10, Jesus is going to give you a thousand, you know, and, and then next thing you know, it's not a sacrifice. It's really a subtle bribe. Mm. <clears throat> you're making deals with God. Okay. You said in this scripture, if I did this, you're going to say, well, may, maybe, 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 maybe not. I've seen people give and serve with a hidden agenda. And we're not supposed to let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. That's exactly to give and serve selflessly without expecting something in return. So, uh, you know, I did Undefeated with Jesus as a prize fighter. And then I did No Appointment Necessary, Jesus with a tattoo, because I'd met Christian bikers. And I'm thinking, you know, when I first started meeting them, and this is early on in, with Art for God, they still on the outside they were still often very intimidating in their appearance yeah and then you meet them and you finally understand what a broken and contrite spirit is you 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 realize you're seeing a new creature in christ and at that time i was still hearing some pastors uh, exclaim from the pulpit you know that tattoos are you know this all this crapola you know and and they're, they're shoving Leviticus, you know, down somebody's throat that's actually a prodigal son. They're not honoring and respecting them. They're still, they're still, they're lost in their liturgy. They're just, you know, so when I did Jesus with a tattoo, that, that was my way of doing an open hand slap to organize religion that criticized these people. Because unfortunately, a lot of the biker groups ended up falling into the same traps that a lot of Christian denominations did because you can't just have one biker group now. There was no heroic leadership from the church where well, we have 10, 20 different biker groups and, and they're carrying on oftentimes, sometimes with the same subtle egotistic, our, our group's better than your group. And it's, it's a tragedy that the people that could have welcomed the prodigal son home uh, in unity Uh, failed to do so but you know watching those people you know i i just over time i knew that i had to come up with a new paradigm i knew i had to deal with drug addiction and and you know i knew about the passage i will never leave you or forsake you and in all of your afflictions i'm also afflicted And all the people I knew that had gone through that drug gauntlet and had their lives beaten up or destroyed, I'd never met one of them that thought God was there with them. Wow. And I knew that 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 was my responsibility to let them know that they were children of the same loving God. They may be the one that was lost. God left the 99 that knew how to tie their shoelaces and went after the one that lost his shoes. You know what I mean? Wow. But you know, the very first time I showed Calvary was at Ichthus and I didn't know if I was going to get run out of town or not because I made an eight foot banner of it. And the first uh, God, it was early on in the very first day I had everything said, and I was really nervous because I, I didn't know, but there was a, a man a young man, everybody seems young to me now, but uh, probably in his 30s and he had his daughter with him and she'd come up and be jabbering this, jabbering that, just lovingly and he'd send her down, go look at the bookmarks. He'd send her, go over there and look at that stuff. Just asking him to hang around my booth and he just stood there and he stared and he stared and he stared at Calvary and I just waited and waited and waited and then he finally said, and this is all that he said, and then he left. I've been in that room. I knew my painting was right. I always did, but just that kind of sincere, broken recognition. And maybe it was something in his eyes that showed up in your eyes. Maybe there was something about the expression of that First person that just couldn't break away from the visual impact of Calvary. Maybe that was just burned into my soul, and maybe I saw that in your eyes. Wow. Uh,
0: I definitely am still moved by all of it. I, you know, Steve, that painting that you gave me has been hanging in every apartment and house since then from Jacksonville, Florida, back to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Let me try to get back on track here and, and keep the show going. So when, <laughs> good luck with that. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, we're having a good time good. now. It got so good that like, let's just ride the wave for a minute, you know?
1: Yeah, please. Cause you know, I, the thing that I love about your show is because when people pre-send you questions or they ask really typical questions, then, then you find you're answering things. You go, God, I've said the same thing before. This doesn't sound... You know, I, the things that I have shared with you and your audience, most of it I've never even said before. And that's exciting for me because I get to relive uh, what I invested my life in. I get to go back and remember moments with a new kind of clarity, and I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. So thank
0: you. Absolutely, man. That's exactly what I try to capture with, you know, supernatural content, people depicting encounters with lights in the sky, all the way down to men and women of faith. You know, the real heroes who just choose what's right over wrong.
1: Yeah, yep, um, yep. I've got to jump in on that because that's wonderful. So this is one of the things, let, let forgive me for interrupting, but I think this will be relevant. Absolutely. One of the things that I have talked about on Closet Church many times over the years uh, is to try to dismantle this notion that we were born in sin. And if you believe it, forgive me, just allow me to to speak, and and I'm not saying I'm right, but I, I want to have the opportunity to share this because there's something very broken about thinking that all the cards are stacked against us, and that God wouldn't love us until He saw His blameless Son bleeding and dying on the cross of Calvary. There's something broken. In a system that says you were born in sin. Because the flip side of that coin is an exquisite knowledge and understanding that we were born imperfect on purpose. And it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a divine gift to have the free will to choose to do good over evil. It's a divine gift to choose courage over fear. It's a divine gift to be able to choose service over selfishness. These are the ways in which our spiritual character grows. If we automatically did everything right, it'd be—I mean, sure, I'm sure there's some beings that in, in this wonderful universe that are born perfect, but but I wouldn't trade places with them. In fact, I would say, quite honestly, that if they could experience a little bit of sorrow that almost borders on the divine expression of what jealousy is, to know that we have, by our own free will, the opportunity to choose eternal life over a mammalian life that's self-centered, lazy, procrastinates, and does all the stupid things that mammals do. It's a divine gift to be born imperfect. We can turn our imperfection into glory.
0: Just There's depends a,
1: which way you flip the coin.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of uh, where the Apostle Paul says, "I will boast in my weakness, for in my weakness his power is made best known." And it, exactly. you know, it wasn't like a he was dreading the fact, but. You know, All of us have to, like you said earlier in the episode, we have to come and meet God in a personal encounter if there's ever going to be a spiritual growth. We can show up to every Bible study and we can go and listen to all the different teachings and we can broadband it across uh, um, multi-denominations so that we can sound like we're intelligent and have a good response no matter who we're talking with but a broken and a contrite spirit the Lord has never rejected. It was an honor to have you here on the show. And do you want to let the audience know where they can find your work, whether it's Facebook or your website?
1: Yeah, nice idea. Well, um, my website is artforgod.com, A-R-T, the number four, G-O-D.com. I mean, I've got way too many websites, but artforgod.com is the one that is absolutely relevant to everything we've discussed today. That is, that's my heart. That's my truth. That's my gift that's giving back. And so I hope you'll, um, oh, and on Facebook, it's, it's Facebook forward slash art for God, but you can look up Stephen Sawyer as well. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-A-W-Y-E-R. And if somebody really wants to find you, you know, you can help.
0: That's the show, everybody. I thank you guys for tuning in for another episode here with me on the Millennial Must See Podcast. If this episode encouraged you, made you laugh, made you think deeper about the real topics that all of us have to face sooner or later, I ask you to share it with a friend coming to you from Southeastern Pennsylvania. God bless America and good night.